You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, this、um, introduction is a little bit long, okay? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. But really, to, you know, I, I thought about how can I get you to understand、um, the situation where Mary and Jesse arrived. At the school. And the only way I could do that is to give you a little bit of background、uh, with education in Japan and what led up to her、um, taking this step. Okay, so the introduction part, at least I'm just going to be reading, if you don't mind,、um, straight out.、Um, and this,、uh, for、uh, anybody who has Japanese, it's straight out written there, translated. For you. So,、um, you who have English don't have that. You just have an outline. So,、uh, before Mary,、uh, Mary Daniel Jesse arrived in Japan in 1911, Japan was already acquainted with Christianity, but she brought new life and vision to her mission that previously, previous Christian influences in Japan could not. She was convinced that education was the channel through which evangelism could occur. She concentrated on building Christian character in the young women in her care and helped them to build a life centered in God. Continuously, she pushed for recognition of their dignity and value as human beings. Her vision and tenacity often inspired others to think big and keep going when all <clears throat> seemed lost. She desperately wanted to be able to shake off the impression of society that what she advocated was not a foreign religion to be wary of, but something that offered new life in Christ. After all, it had been a crime to believe in Christianity for over 250 years. With Francis Xavier, In the lead in 15... <clears throat> 1549, the Jesuits were the first modern missionaries to experience success in Japan. Soon to follow was the dissension over power within the ranks and competition over territory and trade issues. Infuriated, Japanese rulers began prohibiting the spread of Christianity in different locations. By 1620, Christianity was forbidden by law in all areas with the punishment of death. But not before. <clears throat> Hundreds of thousands of Japanese were baptized into the faith. It's estimated that there were over 300,000 Christians at that, at that time. Okay?、Uh, forced to go underground, the church struggled to survive for the next 250 years underground for 10 generations. When Protestant missionaries arrived, the ban on Christianity had not yet been lifted. But there were signs that indicated. That it would not be long. Among those first missionaries arriving in 1873 were two couples from the American Baptist Missionary Union, Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan and Eliza Gobel, 
and Dr. and Mrs. Nathan and Charlotte Brown. The Goebbels had been in Japan several years earlier and knew broken Japanese. In fact, Goebbels was on Commodore Perry's ship. He went back to the U.S. and studied at a seminary, got kicked out of the seminary because he married during his seminary years, which was forbidden in those days. Um, the Goebbels had been in Japan. Yeah, they had broken Japanese. Jonathan had published a gospel of Matthew, but it was in the lingo of the commoner, and no educated Japanese would read it seriously. Nathan and Charlotte Brown arrived with no Japanese language. Evangelism was their main reason for coming to Japan, but forming a church was daunting without language and an acceptable Bible. So the two couples formed their own church together until the ban on Christianity was lifted the following year in 1874. That church still exists now. Within a year's time, the Goebbels were relieved of their duties while the Browns continued. Doubts about how to begin in this pagan society must have kept them up at night. But Nathan, an accomplished linguist in Burma and Assam, set to work translating the New Testament from Greek into Japanese, publishing it finally in 1879 on a printing press in his home. A few other couples joined the Browns with the mutual goal of sharing the good news and starting churches. Since the men were the paid employees of the American Baptist Missionary Union, their work in evangelizing young men who could be taught the theology for the pastorate was their top priority. Wives were considered assistants in the Missionary Union until 1859, when the Union changed its policy so that wives were no longer, missionary wives were no longer considered assistants, and hence not held responsible for missionary service. They were expected to manage their homes and raise their children, but not be pressured to evangelize. However, they wouldn't be held back by such thinking when the needs around them were so great. They were able to easily gather women and children in and outside their homes in Yokohama, showing them American culture and teaching them English. These groups also gathered on Sundays and became Sunday schools, Sunday schools without a church. The Women's American Baptist Foreign Mission Society sent two single women missionaries to Japan in 1875, one in 1879, and one in 1883, with the focus on education. Uh, America, the Women's uh, Society, by the way, was established in 1872. Until that time, only couples and single men could go on, out on a mission. So the American Baptists, um, so with the, the missionary wives and single women missionaries began to see how evangelism through education was having a greater effect at drawing people in than direct evangelism alone. 
By the end of the century, 1900, uh, the 18, by the end of 18, the 1800s, there were a total of 25 single women in Japan sent out by Baptists working to elevate the status of young women through education. Evangelism, evangelism through education was almost like their best kept secret that the mission agencies and Japanese churches would have to acknowledge in the future. By the time the first girls schools school was established in Yokohama by a missionary wife, public education was only available up to the fourth grade for uh, privileged children. The remaining children and their mothers could not read or write. Yeah, that's easier. Okay. All right. Um, so, actually, having the Bible in Japanese was no help. They couldn't read it. Having, um, with the passing of Nathan Brown, Charlotte Brown worked on getting permission and financial help to begin a school for the large number of students crowding into her home and into the print shop where the printer was, though education for females was still not a part of the Missionary Union's objectives. When those details were worked out between the Missionary Union, which she was a member because she was a spouse, unpaid spouse, and the Women's Society for Single Women, Charlotte began the first Baptist school for girls in 1886 called Mary L. Colby School, or later, Soshin Girls School. That's where the Wongs are. The next two schools were begun elsewhere in 1892. One of those was Shoke Girls School in Sendai, called the Elo Patrick Home, and the other one was in Hinomoto, down in Himeji. And the L.O. Patrick home was where Mary Jessie would eventually work. The interesting thing is that there were two different philosophies developed for justifying opening girls' schools. The Baptist Missionary Union, made up of couples ruled by men, whose interests were in direct evangelism and church development primarily, thought the value of schools, women's schools, were twofold. First, the men and pastors, Japanese men and pastors in particular, would need Christian wives for the foundation of a Christian family. So the reason to have female education was to make wives. Girls' schools had value. Yay! Second, young women could be taught to be Bible women who were trained in the study of scriptures and leading worship. They were paid employees of the Baptist mission and were essential to Christian work because they could easily become friends with, with people in the inner sanctums of a home where missionaries, especially the men, 
who were doing evangelism in the countryside, could not go. The Women's American Baptist Foreign Mission Society had no problem with the second reason, but a stronger reason developed as they observed how women were treated poorly, lacked self-esteem, and had few opportunities of bettering themselves. The uplift of the status of women through education was their focus for the beginning of schools for girls. The three missionaries, Nellie E. Fife, 1887 to 1891, Adele Phillips, 1880 to 1891, Lavinia Mead, 1890-1902, made several discoveries before they started the school, which informed their purpose and tra trajectory. How they began, how to begin was the first question they wrestled with, and it was whether they should begin a school in an American traditional way of opening the doors on a, of a classroom on a specific date, as a neighboring private school across town, Miyagi Jogako had, had done, or should they start the school by just having girls live with the missionaries? After observing the strong reaction of the public and anti-Christian sentiment, the women favored the slower method of opening their home to a few girls. Then it was the language problem. Yeah, they just got there and they're going to start a school and gather kids that don't know English together. What, are they? what about the language conundrum? Secondly, the missionaries' language difficulties forced them to spend their time passing out literature and the, uh, and the Bible house to house. That led to the discovery of the tremendous need for literacy and hygiene. They couldn't read the Bible that they passed out. Missionaries often remarked about the lack of good hygiene in the countryside of which Sendai was a part and how sickly the children looked. Infectious diseases and waterborne diseases such as cholera, dysentery, and typhoid were caused by an unregulated water treatment system. Fields were fertilized with human waste collected locally and with night soil transported by, from the nearby cities to the countryside. Fish, fish fertilizer was used clear up through the 1950s, causing vegetables to taste fishy, according to stories that I heard from the late missionary Beulah McCoy. Many homes in the country had dirt floors with no need to clean. The girls entering as boarders would learn to cook hygienically and to clean for the first time. Choke was one of the pioneers when it came to graduating students down the line a bit, um, educated in hygiene, sending them back to their villages where they improved their homes and taught what they had learned. As a side note, post-World War II sanitation was a major concern for the Supreme Command of Allied Forces. MacArthur set up a nationwide network of doctors to treat various diseases and to teach the public about sanitation. The Department of Health, Domestic Science, and 
Dietetics is the only department at Shokei Gakuin now that remains from the school's beginning. They are famous all over Japan for that, what they teach in that way. The third uh, problem was how to recruit students for their home school. So they went out to the edge of town or to dis distant villages to start Sunday schools for children using large pictures to tell stories of Jesus. These Sunday schools were very popular wherever they were started. So it was that on the outskirts of one Sunday school, several little girls were forbidden by their parents to attend because of the foreign religion being taught. After talking with the parents, the parents agreed to allow their children to go and live with the teacher, Nellie Fife, where they would receive a Western education and where missionaries could tell the gospel and live out the gospel. This defies our logic. But the parents likely thought of education and religion as mutually exclusive categories. Uh, after several years, a few children were added, and two missionaries left. Lavinia Mead and the new missionary, Annie Bazell, 1892-1919, since that opposition to Christianity had somewhat subsided. The circumstances were just right for Shoke Girls School to mark its establishment with the authorities. The Japanese government allowed it to be categorized as a quote-unquote gathering to study the Bible, but not as an official school as yet. Nevertheless, 1892, barely 10 years after the Bible was available, these children lived with the missionaries while they attended the local grade school. Each year, the home school slowly grew in numbers along with interest in Christianity. As the children graduated from fourth grade, a new curriculum was formulated. Annie Bazell, the first principal, raised the little school with loving care, instilling independence and responsibility in the girls until Mary Jessie took over. By that time, the school had built a reputation in the Northeast and was well on its way to full accreditation by the Japanese government. The school continues to invite any girl to apply to take the entrance exam, not Christian girls in particular. Many had been part of a Sunday school elsewhere. But this policy of encouraging anyone to apply for admission continues even today. Christian schools, by and large, seek out anyone desiring an education. But through Christian atmosphere and witness, the teachings of Jesus, the presence and leading of the Holy Spirit, seeds are planted in every heart. Among the Christian population today, a large percentage began their faith journey in a Christian school. Haoshoke grew until the time Mary Jessie took over as principal is quite a story in and of itself, overcoming intense opposition to Christianity, struggling to meet the demands of Japanese government regulations, and then, in the end, having to remove the subject of Bible from the curriculum in order to receive the next level of 
accreditation as an educational institution. During those years and continuing into Jesse's era, the center of school life in Christian witness was the home. Then its dormitory, where the Bible, Christian customs and values could be taught freely. Showcase was exclusively a residential school for its first 15 years with all students living in the dormitory because most of the students came from out of town. As Showcase grew in its reputation and continued to receive accreditation, children from educated families in Sendai began applying for admission. Those students commuted from home. The dormitory was the mainstay of the school for 100 years, closing it finally in 1992. Up until 1908, 14-year-old students studied in a four-year basic, educa basic education course. From 1908, the age dropped to 12 for a five-year middle school basic education course. These changes fluctuated for the next 27 years, depending on the accreditation level. Um, some of the courses studied were English, Chinese, history, geography, mathematics, law, economics, and physical education. Gradually, domestic science, ethics, Bible, and flower arranging were added, particularly for the benefit of students who were not in the dorm or transferred from government-run public schools. Annie Bazell was undeniably a pioneer and a visionary with many firsts to her name, but eventually she was accused of just tending the fire, perhaps by having taken the school as far as she could. No few, uh, no few uh, people felt she had reached a point of ineffectiveness. Introduction. You want to ask the next question? While well, we're waiting for me to set up here, um, does anyone have any questions in regards to what was um, just read on the introduction? Um, I was amazed that like there's there were three hundred thousand Japanese that were baptized, and now in this present day, there's less than one percent that are Christians in Japan. Why is that? I wonder. And what can we do as a church in the U.S. to improve that? Particularly since we are a Japanese Baptist church, should we be doing something out in Japan? Yes. <laughs> that might be leading up to <laughs> But, um, anyways... I am having a hard time sitting this up for some reason. I might have to call Tashina. Tashina, I need to help. Oh. Uh oh. Oh, okay, thank you. All right, I'm just going to have to call this then. Now that we have a general idea of the background, how does JBC fit into this picture? Okay, uh, did you catch the name uh, Nellie Fife at the beginning of the introduction? Well, Nellie Fife is credited for 
having those first two students in her home. That is big. If that hadn't have happened, uh, the school may not have become um, uh, what it is even uh, today. But by not allowing um, the first few little girls who were not allowed to go to the Sunday school, right? But actually, she was in the process of starting a boys' school with one other missionary. Because it was the boys that are the, the, you know, the core of society, right? And uh, they were all looking for education, and not all of them can get into elementary school. Uh, so these two women, Nellie Fife and actual Harriet Brown, who left actually uh, because of some personality issues, they had them back then too, um, it, it was easy to draw the boys out. And um, she needed, as all missionaries in Sendai did, needed a visa in order to stay in Sendai. You didn't require a visa living in Yokohama or Tokyo, but you had to have a visa to go up there. And the visa was granted to people who taught in a school. So even if you had just a class in your own home, um, that was good enough. So not knowing how to get an official girls' school going, they figured it out with the boys. However, the American Baptist, the, the Women's American Baptist Foreign Mission Society says, what? We sent you to Japan for girls' education, not boys. And so back and forth, sending letters back and forth. You know, one letter takes, what, two months to get back. And, and, you know, in the meanwhile, the two other schools that are already established in town said, before you get permission, we're going to steal all your students. Nellie Fife had a lot of pressure on her regarding this. Uh, but she had at least taken in two or three girls into her home, and that idea was uh, continuing, continuing on. But actually, um, her her uh, health broke, and she found that she had to leave and go back to the U.S. Uh, another missionary, Lavinia Mee, took her place, and she was ended up being the very first principal, the one who actually started Chokei. But Nellie regained her strength and returned to Japan in 1895, where she did pioneer work in Tokyo with kindergartens. Uh, the concept of kindergarten was new, and missionary uh, Genevieve Topping was training uh, Nellie and, um, in how to organize a, a kindergarten. Uh, the Toppings eventually moved to Morioka, and opened up a kindergarten there where Mitch Holmes' great-grandmother was a student. Okay, interesting. Anyway, um, Nellie uh, then returned to the U.S., eventually made her way to Seattle. She became the first principal of the Fujin home in 1909. Yay! She is mentioned in 1910 census as the head of household with 10 Japanese names listed as living with her. Uh, she worked tirelessly until about um, 1915, 1913, 1915, I think. Um, I might have that date wrong. 
The next person I would mention is Florence Rumsey. And maybe Florence Rumsey is more familiar with JBC, to JBC. She was not at Shokei, but she was at Shokei's sister school down in Himeji, southern Japan. There she worked tirelessly for about six years in an extremely hostile town and then returned to the U.S. in 1913. She began her work at the Fujin home in 1915, taking the place of Nellie Fife. She served JVC for 50 years. She took the message, the gospel message to Japanese immigrants living in uh, Green Lake, Bellevue, South Park, Kingston, Mokotio, and she extended her witness to Bainbridge Island and Polsbo. She had a dream to make the Fujin home into a retirement home for Issei, but this was a very costly dream that uh, uh, had not that had to be abandoned. Then there is Ruth French, and I don't know much about Ruth French except that she uh, served in Japan at Hinomoto and Soshin School for seven years. And she came in 18, uh, 1918 to JVC. Her skills included, this is, I, I wish I could meet her, meeting each ship from Japan and welcoming the Japanese women with a smile and a warm heart. She was good at corresponding with the women, keeping track of them when they moved away. And the last person I will mention is Georgia Newberry, who does not seem to be found on any of the lists, but in her, her obituary, it says that she was working in a Baptist women's home in 1919 to 1921. So it's probably here, unless other churches started homes around, okay? And uh, Georgia, Georgia Newberry uh, then went to Japan in, in 1922 um, and then to Shokei in 1924. Georgia became a very flamboyant, colorful personality for Shokei. Uh, and I write extensively about her in my book, um, A Flower with Roots. So did either of these women meet the main character of your book? Mary Jessie arrived in 1911, so she did not. Uh, Georgia Newberry was the only person that Mary Jessie knew. And uh, Miss Jessie was away on furlough, absent because of illness. Georgia took up the leadership of the school. She was the chief confidant for the Japanese principal, Dr. Kawaguchi, in the mid-30s, but was forced to resign because of personality clashes. Yeah. So that's the only person that Mary Jessie knew. So your book, why did you call it A Flower with Roots? Okay. Uh, the title, A Flower with Roots, comes from a story that Mary Jessie actually heard uh, late in her career, which encapsulated her philosophy of evangelism through education. It um, Probably about 1938 or 9, 1940, in that, in that era, she heard um, a lecture, and it goes something like this. She says, several years before the recent war, um, I heard an elderly Japanese gentleman speak, and one statement he made was still fresh in 
in my memory in discussing the national situation then, about 1938-40, he referred to the incoming of U.S. civilization as a veneer. And then he turned to the Americans present and said in English, yes, you have given us a flower without the roots, and it has withered in our hands. The Americans spoke afterwards about his words and felt rebuked that they, while sharing material things, had not shared their best, their religion. And so, the flower without the root, Christianity, had withered. It may do the same again, she thought, Mary Jessie thought. She thought that the missionaries here can serve by bringing the root and planting deeply in the hearts of the students so that it may flower in the soil of family life, in human relations, making for a better society based on Christian principles. Okay. So the book is not just a biography of a person, but a biography of a school. What two eras stand out as significant to us as a modern reader? Okay, I'll mention uh, two eras. Uh, the first era I'll mention is during the mid-1920s. Um, missionaries and native Japanese teachers encouraged the students and prayed hard that their students would meet Christ. As time progressed, the students themselves began to pray for their classmates and felt compelled, perhaps by the Holy Spirit, to reach out to their classmates. Morning and evening, the missionaries watched as the students' YWCA planned their own outreach on their own. Every several months, there were another group of students wanting to know Christ, leading to baptism in the Hirose River near the school. Sometimes, even at the baptismal service, a number of students gave their hearts to Christ. These proactive, spirit-filled students also did their best to give concerts to the public to make Shokei known baked bread for sale in order to buy janitorial supplies and music, musical instruments for their music program, which the school could not afford. For me, um, actually it demonstrated what can happen when revival led by the Holy Spirit grabs the hearts of a group of people, in this case students. The missionaries, especially Mary Jessie, could hardly keep up with the inquirer's class for these, uh, for these students. So she worked out a way for the new Christians to help with Sunday school as assistance to the older students who guided them as new baby Christians and baby leaders. Okay. It appears that... Uh, now, why would there be a missing page? Okay, thank you. Oh my gosh, this is heavy. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't bring my phone. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so, the second era that I chose to share about is just after World War II. This was a very impressive, 
thing to research. I was just really excited in my findings. But missionaries um, did not return until late uh, 1946 and early 1947. The school, although not severely damaged, was in total disrepair since nothing had been repaired since about 1940. Cho was fortunate because they lost his dormitory to a bomb while their sister schools, Soshin and Kantogakwin, had almost been totally destroyed. After the shock of 1945, the year 1946 came with um, MacArthur taking hold. The Japanese were still in rags and near starvation when she arrived, but their spirit was showing signs of hope. When Mary Jessie arrived in 1947, she was shocked at what she found. Uh, let me just read this one section from her. Jessie writes about what she found at Shoke in 1947 annual report. As to the religious life of the school, I think it gave me one of the biggest surprises of my life. How difficult things were when I left. She left in 1941, spring. So, so little interest in anything but war work. So few, um, so few with time to, to, or thought of Christianity for Bible, for music, except military songs. I can never forget the thrill of my first chapel. And Shoke had chapel every morning before they started their classes. Our big auditorium packed, and the way they sang and listened to the message, I could hardly speak. So great was their joy and gratitude. I was not expecting anything like that. And the surprise continued. The calls, the opportunities, the interest in Bible classes, the new spirit of appreciation and earnestness, the interest in everything American. Then she says, since it was outside the policy guidelines of the United Church of Christ in Japan, Shoukei did not immediately begin a school church on the campus. Instead um, of forming their own churches on campus, as they had done before the war, Christian schools were encouraged to send their students to local churches in the community. As the students became Christians, they were to be baptized into the fellowship of the local church. However, there were impractical implications in this policy. After the war, pastors of local churches in Sendai were so busy trying to rebuild their own lives, their own congregations, and their church buildings that had been destroyed, that they had little time to help Shokei. The general population was experiencing such revival that the small church buildings could not even hold the crowds trying to attend. Therefore, the pastors felt that they could not properly care for an additional influx of students in their own, in their own churches. Therefore, they started a church on their own campus again like they had in 1921. Once again, I could see how the Spirit of God could provide renewal when all seemed lost. I can't say enough about how thrilling this section was, uh, the story was for me. 
Thank you, Roberta. And I pray that we will have a revival here at JPC too. Um, I have a just to personalize it a little bit, let's ask some questions of Roberta and um, her background, because oftentimes an author, um, they have reflections into their, um, their book that they read. So um, let's hear a little bit about Roberta's story. So Roberta, and she's really not expecting too much of this because I kind of asked her yesterday and she was on her way to her grandniece's recital. So I, I'm sorry to put you in the hot seat. So, what was your most spiritual memory or experience as a missionary? Say that once more. What? Actually, let me let me skip to this other one. What was your most compelling reason to become a missionary, and why did you choose Japan? Um, I wanted to be a missionary at age seven. What compelled me was the story of a missionary that visited my Sunday school class. She was um, uh, in Japan from 1916, and uh, when she came to visit me, it was probably about, or not me, but our class was probably 1954, 5, 6, something like that. And she told us a story of how... Um, she used to go to the temples and who had been who had received children to raise because their parents couldn't afford to and couldn't provide them with food. And so she would go to these temples and, and bring these children to her house. Um, thinking of Nellie Fife in a sense, but the reasons are a little different. But um, and she would tell them about Jesus, raise them in the Lord. And um, she said, if I hadn't have gone to Japan, these girls would never have known about Jesus. And for the first time as a seven-year-old, I didn't even think about there's a whole world out there who had never heard about Jesus. And I thought, wow, if I don't go... There might be some who don't hear the gospel because I didn't go. So as a seven-year-old, everybody else is wanting to do what, being a fireman or a secretary or a mommy or whatever. I wanted to be a missionary. And that, you know, wavered back and forth over the years. And I had never met a Japanese person. So I sort of lost my vision for Japan. I mean, as related to this lady. But I went, um, um, after I, during college, I became really interested in India and went to India for volunteer work. Um, after I got a job, I went two or three times uh, as a volunteer and just wondering where God would lead me. I had no idea. And Japan was not on, in my mind at that time. But I learned that I could not go to India because I didn't have the skills they needed um, in me to go. And India was re refusing um, uh, various, uh, refusing missionaries of visas right and left, visas of missionaries right and left. And so I gave up. I said, Lord, you know, yeah, there are a lot of countries. I, I don't know what you would have for me because my 
I worked with mentally handicapped and was a recreation therapist. And why would any country, any poor country, send a recreation therapist? No one needs that. They need food and water and, you know, this kind of thing. And I wouldn't be able to do that. So I have no idea where to go. And about that time, to make a longer story short, I was given the chance to make a choice. If American Baptist International Ministries um, approved of me, would I like to go the route of Zaire? Or would I like to go the route of Japan? If I went the route of Zaire, teaching recreation, or doing recreation therapy in a hospital, that would be close to what I just said to God, all right, I give that up. It would be another experiment, trying to convince the powers that be of the validity of this, this kind of occupation, or I could go to Japan. And I'd heard of missionaries who didn't have degrees in English going there and teaching English, so I speak English. Why wouldn't that work? <laughs> and surely Japanese is really an easy, interesting subject. Um, uh, on English, it was my second worst subject in school, but at least it wasn't the worst, right? <laughs> so that's how I chose Japan. Last question. What advice would you give to someone who is exploring or considering the mission field as God's agent of change? That's um, both easy and hard, but if it's for to be an agent of change, just using those words alone, and maybe there's more content, you can find it further. I'd say they're going to Japan or as a missionary for the wrong reasons. Um, going out as a missionary thinking you're going to change people is not the kind of missionary we need because it does not work like that. Years and years and years ago, when missionaries, you know, 100, 150 years ago, missionaries went out to change the native culture of some, you know, different countries. And, and in society is now very critical of what they did, although I, can, I can't imagine what this world would be like at this point if they hadn't have done that initial breaking down of the barriers of, of religion and, um, and culture. I just can't quite imagine what it would be like. However, their methods were not what we are proud of now. Um, however, going there as because you want to be an instrument of God, I'd say support them. You need to go as, as a... If you want to be a vessel, an empty vessel, and uh, not with the idea of changing uh, people. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, well, thank you everyone for uh, attending our event. And uh, for those that are interested in purchasing the book, they're out in the Narthex. They're 
at $20. Otherwise, if you want to buy the ebook version, they're available on Amazon or through WIPF, the publisher of um, Roberta's book. So thank you for attending, and uh, we look forward to having you at our next 120th anniversary event. Which is? Which is July 20th, I believe, right? Well, there's the CELA event tonight, too, so please attend that if you can. It's 5.30. Yeah, but the uh, the July twentieth one is the discovery tour. Maybe uh, Roberta can uh, she'll be leading that up too. So maybe you can say a couple of words, a few words on that. Oh uh, yeah, just um, uh, we'll get some ad advertisement out for it this week. But uh, we want to make a trip to Bainbridge Island and um, uh, see about see their memorial um, exhibits there and uh, see how, what happened to them during World War II. But at the same time, I hope we can also look up the area where we had a church plant there. On the way back, we want to stop by each of the locations that JBC and the Fijian Home um, existed at. That's on the way back. So that, you know, that would just be in the car, driving back with, with comment, a little bit of commentary. Uh, probably take not more than 10 minutes because we're not going to get out of the car, but just to sort of see where it happened. And I would really, really encourage you younger people to go on this especially because, um, you know, we've got a lot of people, increasing numbers of younger people coming to JBC now, and it doesn't mean you guys can't go. But you can't. <laughs> I, 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 no. I just want to make sure that people who have never, if possible, people who have never been uh, for this, our particular reasons would be able to go. So we're, we're taking, a, I think, 15-passenger van, and we may need uh, to add a vehicle that. Yeah. So don't worry about transportation, it'll be taken care of, but it will be a very good historical um, study of our church, particularly because there have been so many uh, members of our church in Bainbridge Island, and of course for the internment. So please attend if you can, and circle that date, July 20th. It will be an all-day event. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and let's thank you for, thank you for, for spending all this time.